and we're live for another episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky, joined by my co-host at Seth, Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Sorry, man, I'm, all, I'm messing I'm, this whole thing up. No, dude. I, I mean, we we don't know what to do anymore now that you know Twitter is the is Twitter, right? Like you know, yeah. Anyway. Uh, welcome back to another episode, everyone. We have a lot to talk about. It's been a couple of weeks, um, mainly because the World Cup started and I can't pry myself away from the TV and watching uh, football or soccer, as you crazy Americans call it, right? Um, no, realistically, it was because, uh, you know, it, we were traveling, we've had life stuff going on, um, but I have been enjoying the World Cup, even though I, ha- yeah, it, it, we won't get into that, we wouldn't like it, you know, but um Soccer is always fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ken, what's been going on? Uh, well, let's, can... let's, let's backtrack. You still have more to talk about, man. Vienna. I do. Let's talk about Vienna. Vienna. Oh, man. Deep Sec was amazing. Um, honestly, this, the smaller conferences and talking to the attendees over there, most of those European conferences feel – it wasn't massive, right? Like it was a couple of hundred attendees, um, very intimate – a lot of good, high quality technical content. Um, some of it way over my head, right? Because uh, they went deep in like radio frequency hacking and like other other avenues that I was just completely out of my depth on. Um, even on like the like, cutting edge network research, that it's been a long time since I've touched anything on that end. As well as some of um, some good talks from um, like uh, against so, you know attacking web apps using DNS weaknesses and DNS misconfigurations. Um, and like, it just felt to me, uh, to somebody who's been in the, the industry for so long, it felt like honestly, like DEF CON and B sides did way back when they started. Right. Mm. Where there wasn't a lot of like, But yeah, there wasn't a lot of infosec drama. There wasn't a lot of like infosec celebrities. It was just a bunch of smart people coming together and talking about like cool stuff and cool research that they had done. Uh, there was a lot of students from the technical universities over in Europe, um, and I think that's where a lot of it comes from, as well as some good workshops. I, you know, I, you know, I, I saw some people from the states, a couple of them, um, but most of the content was from the European side of things, which I, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's it's closer there. Um, but yeah, I, like it, I would highly encourage it. What? Was it in English or was it, uh, you know, it was in yes. English. It was in English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, the I, the organizers are obviously they're Austrian, and you know, getting around the city, you got to speak German, um, or you you don't have to, right? Like it's an international city, but it was an international conference. I mean, a couple of the students that I met were from Denmark, and you know, they were running a you know. Uh, some CTF like that they had built for teaching um, students uh, security. Right. Um, But they were, you know, Danish, right. They were not German and there were others from other places. Um, So it wasn't all just German. I mean, it was English. I think that was just because it's the, the language of choice for now anyways. So I would encourage that. And then talking to other people that were there, there's quite a few other smaller conferences like that in Europe, like troopers, um, some of the, you know, B-sides conferences that are over there, um, Def Camp, um, 
that yeah they they were listing off like five or six different conferences that were very very technical and they kind of run throughout the year every couple of months you could really get over and do some you know see some interesting things and then i also met uh juan who listens to the, the podcast and oh, was in our right, yeah yeah good dude um him and his boss came to our course which was great um we had a good time there and yeah i don't know i mean you have any questions about it I, I, I'm supposed to send Tracy pictures, right? That's what you were saying. Yeah, she's so jealous. Especially, I showed her the one with you in the pretzel, the Bavarian pretzel, and she was just <laughs> like, "I hate you right now." Yeah, no, um, no, that's awesome. No, I mean, what was the demographic of the attendees? I guess that's the other question. Was it mostly? Was it like a pretty good mix, or was it? You know, I, I would assume. So, first of all, it sounds a hundred percent like a hobbyist conference versus mm -hmm. a professional, yep. like professional in the sense of like an RSA would be like what I would categorize as like a, a professional conference for people. If you see sport coats, probably a professional conference. If you, if you I, see I people with badge hacking, not, not sport coat. coat. There was a couple of, you know, there was a couple of sponsors, uh, like local, like the local, uh, you know, uh, cert from like Aust the Austrian government was there. Like that was one of the, the sponsors as was a couple of security consulting firms that are, you know, there in Europe. Um, sure, but yeah, it was mu it was much more like a a B side style event, and that that was the crazy thing too. I didn't realize this, and I missed it. But uh, like so, uh, DeepSec ran for like the week, and then it turned out on Saturday, B sides Vienna was actually running as well, right? Um, and so they they kind of coordinated between those two, and I should I should have probably tried to get to B sides Vienna. But, you know, my first time in Vienna in, you know, 30 years, I, I kind of decided I wanted to go see some stuff instead of going to another technical conference. Right? Sue me. I, yeah, that's where, that's where it went. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, we could, yeah, we could dig into one of those talks, that one from Timo, if you wanted to. Um, or I, but, I, I mean, I'd highly encourage people to go. And if like if some of the listeners like Juan was talking about like some uh, some conferences in Munich and Heidelberg and other places in Germany, um, I'm sure we're going to we're you and I are going to try to get back to some of those as well, because that's a uh, um, yeah, it's, it's a great place to go. There's a lot of good content going on. Yeah. And Juan is listening. Hey, Juan. <laughs> yeah, I saw the pop up. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, sounds like it was a. Sounds like it was like, first of all, a great talk. Sounds like a good venue. Sounds like you had just a great time. So that's awesome to hear. Hopefully next year I can get there. We've had, you and I have had a weird, uh, like, like we, we've each had our own like personal stuff going on, you know, yep. and like, uh, you know, it's like offset. So it's just, it's been hard to coordinate. Even these places have been, I don't know, almost three weeks without a, a podcast, just trying to get, you know, this going. So anyways, hopefully things, I think things are, are settling a bit for both of us. And uh, that's good news, I think, all around. So happy about that. But yeah, 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 yeah next year, I definitely want to get out there. So yeah, and, and I know you and I have like a few uh, CFTs, like call for trainings that we need to submit. Um, there's going to yeah. be some other, you know, announcements coming down the pipe for next year. Um, I I, I think we, you and I, like we need to sit down and kind of plan out the calendar and what that looks like and what we really want to try for. Cause uh, it's really getting to the point that I'm sure we could be on the road every other week if we wanted to. Um, but yeah. that's, that's always difficult with family life and everything else that um, has to get done on a, yeah. you know, and 
So, so if you're listening, if you have a conference or you have a location that you would like us to look into, such as Munich or such as, you know, some other, you know, even a, a part of the States, part of the world, whatever it is, Ken and I are up for it. Um, please jump onto Slack, reach out to us and, and, and let us know what that is. And we'll see what we can figure out at least a location that is somewhat close um, because it's, yeah, we're interested in teaching people how to do secure code review. Right. Yeah. And if you've, you know, if you're going to be at, in Phoenix in J- at the end of January, we'll be at CactusCon. If you'll be at CactusCon, uh, come out and reach out. Come to our workshop. It's free. You can come in and learn some, like a minified version of our course. So, uh, like I said, just kind of volunteering to come out there and spend some time doing that and just basically meeting people, getting getting back to, to what feels like normal. So, yep. yeah, good times. Awesome. Yeah, so was there anything that... Uh, so what, what was your favorite talk, I guess, from, from, from deep sec? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was the one that I was, I was talking about from, uh, Timo Longin from sec consult, right. Or BSC. Uh, he's got this talk that he's calling uh, melting the DNS iceberg, taking over your infrastructure Kaminsky style. Right. And there's a uh, post on, uh, there's a blog post. I don't know. Did you post it here? Let me post it really quick. I'm getting to it now, on, actually. No, I, yeah, I just dropped it in. Oh, okay, on cool. sweet. Secconsult.com that um, is similar, or is, you know, that's the research that he was speaking about. But it's basically taking advantage of um, DNS vulnerabilities, um, like older, kind of like Kaminsky, like old Kaminsky style vulnerabilities that still exist in, in certain DNS servers that are running online in order to take over people's accounts specifically if someone's running something like wordpress right um the admin account um goes to like admin at domain.com right but if you can overload or uh reset the mail um the mx the mail record the mail dns record the uh, the mx record associated with the domain um, by supplying that to the DNS server that the uh, web server is using to send out the reset password emails, you can actually take over someone's account. Um, and so what he did is he went through and basically enumerated the DNS servers that are out on uh, the internet and found quite a number of these that were from hosting providers that were still vulnerable to this style of Kaminsky attack. And a lot of these hosting providers are for, are for places that do provide WordPress um, services, right? Like uh, hosted WordPress instances. And you can mm-hmm. utilize this vulnerability to basically spam MX records, like, you know, do cache poisoning against the DNS server and reset someone's password based on what that actually is. And if he, he even takes it a little bit further in here, um, and is attempting to find DNS servers that are outside or like internal to an organization, right? So if you target an organization and you've got a forgot password lookup, one of the first things it's going to do when you put in an email address is doing a DNS lookup for that email address. And, you know, if you've been able to spoof and you can figure out what that internal DNS server actually is, you may be able to provide some of those uh, cache poisoning 
um, pushes uh, back to it, right? Those cash poisoning attacks and take over people's account. It was really this novel idea of, hey, I'm using DNS to take over web applications. Like we have a, we have a tendency to kind of disconnect these different infrastructure pieces. And um, it was it was interesting to see how far you could actually take it um, in attacking a web application specifically using DNS as the, as the main vector or the main poisoning um, or weakness in order to take that over. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out is how the actual poisoning occurs because I'm, I'm now getting towards the three quarters of, of done skimming through the article, which is a lot of the basic kind of like is what you just described was a lot of the first part of that is just setting up like kind of how DNS works, how resolution works, how DS, uh, resolvers work, um, what that communication looks like. And then, yeah, like it kind of gets towards the bottom. It's starting to get into this um, yeah. it's notion the, of yeah. poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm posting this uh, talk from Kaminsky, 08, right? Black Hat Japan, him talking about DNS cache poisoning and um, the, the attacks that go along with that. Um, I mean, it was always theoretical, right? When uh, Kaminsky was talking about it. So he's really making it more of a an active attack here that, hey, you can actually do something with this DNS cache poisoning besides just, you know, complete re, you know, take over of someone's DNS lookups or whatever it is, right, for a specific domain. He's he's using it to attack web applications and, yeah, it has been successful at it, right? There's even, I think he's got a site up. I don't know if it's listed in the, um, in the blog post, but he's got a site up that you can actually play with it. Um, and there right is a, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And then he's got this DNS uh, reset checker, right, that he has pushed. Um, yeah. So it's been research that he's been working on for a while, but it's it seems to have been it seems to be coming to fruition. That's what I should say. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts? I like you guys at GitHub. I mean, obviously, you know, it, well, yeah, your DNS is probably up to date, right? Like, how often do you think about that as an attack vector for your systems, internal or external? Yeah, I think when we were um, talking about, oh gosh, what, what's the, uh, I want to say uh, blind SSRF, I think it, that was more of a topic back then. Um, mm -hmm. recently, uh, I don't know that I, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's something I, I personally think about all the time. Um, right. But there are certain services we offer that where DNS is obviously important. Um, but in terms of, uh, so yeah, I guess I should say it's not like it's outside of our threat models. It's not outside of the, what we think about, but day to day. Yeah. It's probably not a huge like when you're doing code reviews of pieces of things that are being added to addition, you know, existing monoliths and, or just like other distributed service pieces of code. Like I'm not, I'm not thinking too much about DNS all the time, I guess is my point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's probably why it stuck with me so much because it has, it hasn't been something that I've been that concerned about 
over the last few years, right? Like I remember Kaminsky always like saber rattling about it when he would give his talks. Um, Rest and, in peace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, fortunate lose him, but uh, yeah, like it was always like, that's when it would come up, but it's been a few years and um, the fact that there are still systems out there vulnerable to it, you know, makes me suspicious. I think, for me as a you know consultant looking at different apps as we move through um, it really it really makes me question right like okay um, some of those responses that come back from burp suite like burp suite collaborator where they're saying hey we you know we're able to control a dns lookup um, you know is that something that we need to be concerned about that i need to put some more thought into uh, just because there may be an opportunity there and there may be an additional check that needs to go into it. Um, I mean, I think that's probably where it popped up for me as one that I was super interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, yeah. But otherwise... Well, you also deal with systems, especially because you do you deal with a lot. Am I allowed to say this? Hopefully. Hopefully I am. You've done a lot with, like, the, the web... Uh, what is it? Web3 and, mm-hmm. like... Yeah crypto and all of that so oh crap here come all the other tweets <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah here we go right aaron don't tweet anything about finances or crypto or anything but you've done a bit in the space which is usually dependent those systems are often dependent upon other systems and calling out to them so handling user input doing some things calling out to other systems yeah seems like for you this actually would be in, in terms of your threat model and what you're looking at um, when you're taking your risk-based approach, this does seem like something that would really be important to, uh, yeah, yeah, be aware of, I guess. No, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, I'm thinking about smart contracts that make calls out to oracles, right, for prices and other things, right, along those lines. If you can ca- you can poison that DNS cache, oh. you can change those values, man, that's like, that's money right there, you know, I, a Real literal money. money you know? <laughs> So, as long as that's yeah. nothing to do with FTX, then you're good. But, yeah. Well, there's no money in FTX now, so like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we could talk about how crazy that is too, right? I shouldn't like, laugh, but I am. There's a yeah, that shit is crazy. Around. That's bananas, yeah. and how that's affecting coin. Anyways, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is not a DeFi podcast. God damn it! <laughs> I know. Even though I somehow always managed to turn. No, but going back to it. Yeah, when you have a system that's calling out to many, many other systems, of course, like, yeah, DNS is, and I think that's where we we were looking at it so heavily with blind SSRF protections, you know. Um, well, and um, I, like yeah. I fall back to, right, like thinking about mobile applications specifically and how we have this tendency to just trust that DNS is, is correct, right? Um, some of those assumptions need to be rethought at that level because that's an attack vector that I don't think has been explored as much as it, as it could be on the mobile app space specifically, um, right? Like similar to the Web3 Oracle attacks, right? Like, hey, what happens when I change specific endpoints, um, right? Like I take over DNS for a logging subsystem, whatever it is, right? It there's more threat there than people realize. What's up? 
I'm just looking at Slack. I'm listening to what you're saying. By the way, when I said blind SRF, I really meant DNS rebinding. My, my brain's a little, a little slow today, apparently. Um, sure, DNS sure. rebinding. That's what I was trying to. That's what I was trying to say. Um, I was like, "What is it?" I keep saying blind SRF. This isn't what, not what I really mean, though. It's it's, it's more than that. It's, yeah, DNS rebinding. DNS rebinding. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well. Okay. So. That sound like a like sounds like that was a great talk. Any other talks worth highlighting? Um, let's see. I don't know. I um, there was an interesting one um, from like uh, Trace Labs that do the like the missing persons CTF. Um, Robert was there. Um, Let's see, where is it at? I'm trying to find the summary right now really quickly. Um, but talking about basically, oh, OPSEC, the discipline of the gray man, right? Um, and again, this is outside of our typical product security, um, application security topics. Um, but thinking about personal operation, operational security, OPSEC, and like only putting out information that you want to put out, uh, that is traceable and, um, ha yeah, I don't know, like that tells personal things about you, right? And and I know you and I probably specifically are pretty horrible about this because we host a podcast and we talk about like personal lives and other things that are going on, which is, you know, that is what it is. We've come, we've come to, uh, you know, to terms with it. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it was interesting to hear his take um, coming from, the trace labs uh, perspective, right? So the perspective of there are might missing persons that law enforcement is looking for, not necessarily because they are like, uh, they're sought as like, um, you know, for conducting a crime or whatever, but like they're honestly concerned about these people and, you know, they're trying to get away from situations or protect them or whatever it is and how they go about actually identifying people Um you know, based on their digital footprints, right? Um, and how much OPSEC actually is leaked out by people like uh, your family, right? Like it may be one thing that, you know, I'm pretty protective about, you know, certain aspects of my life, but my daughter is like tweeting out or, you know, posting on Instagram on a daily basis where we're at, right? And how they use like all of these different feeds to track people, to find people, and to, you know, to help out in these different investigations. It was super interesting. Um, not really a lot to take out from a ProdSec perspective, but was an interesting talk as well. Yeah, it doesn't always have to, I mean, oftentimes it doesn't need to be applicable to day-to-day -day work. I mean, it's just interesting stuff. Uh, plus, like, sometimes the best time, the best thoughts that, that I, I think I have anyways, are, are like, or ideas, they come from watching stuff completely not even related to my day-to-day -day. and just you, you'll find, pick out something's like oh that, that that seems applicable in a different context as to something i do or i don't know it's kind of like shower thoughts right just pops in your head so yeah, yeah. oh there was a uh, there was a researcher that gave a talk from um dave lintner's team over at contrast right attacking, oh contrast nice yeah attacking developer environments through drive-by local host attacks right um hosting oh. javascript or um like injecting javascript into adver ad 
advertisements or whatever else on development sites. So think Stack Overflow or some of these other places in order to compromise development machines because they always have like localhost 3000 running or localhost 8000 with developer credentials and environment variables and all this other stuff that you can like, you know, you can suck data out of. Um, it was an interesting, you know, thought experiment and how well protected your development workstations are. I mean, since they do have a tendency to hold the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, that's a scary one. That's always a scary one. Um, having said yeah. that, you know, there's, there's been a push by, at least for us, but I don't know about other organizations to move to more of a code spaces style, you know, web IDE, but even then you can connect the two, right? And that, that is an often, that is often a use case where, meaning like you got VS code on your desktop, you're doing all your development stuff there. Of course you have like port 8,000 or whatever you're working with, whatever default spins up on whatever port 3,000, whatever. And then uh, you can offline commit or work on code, whatever, whatever. And then you can just, you know, if you want to switch to code spaces when you're back online, um, you can you can do that. And so there, I, I don't know, like now that I'm talking it through, maybe maybe it's not a, a silver bullet to move to the, the web. It's definitely not a silver bullet to move to like a, a web ID. But um, I have seen that trend more and more. I don't know, like if you were to get, I don't know, like, what I guess if you had default or if you had environment variables that were also being used in prod, that, that could be pretty dangerous for sure. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of what, what else, like practically, what could I really glean from, from that? You know, stack traces, will give you some information, I guess. Um, I, he was talking about more going after things like AWS keys, SSH keys, right? Like, um, GitHub token, right? Like, you know, the, the artifacts that developers use to access the code bases um, or to access the, you know, the development environments. If you can get access to those AWS secret keys, right? Like game's over as far as what you want to do in those, in those environments if they're not protected properly, right? Um, I guess you have to it, just be storing production stuff though. And, or I guess, I mean, maybe, maybe development in theory, AWS environment, but it, maybe the yeah. development environment is not really, or it's like, this gives you access to the machines or the, the stuff that's in like a, I don't know, we'll say CI CD pipelines. Yeah. Yeah. CI CD pipelines. I guess I could see it. I could for sure see it happening. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, I think it's more of a, a we're not quite sure what you're going to get access to, but it could be something fairly juicy. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and there's always escalation. Yeah. So maybe that one thing's not that juicy, but you find another way to pivot into somewhere else and then, yeah, it just gets better and better. Yep. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Yep. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's probably a pretty good summary of the, what, the stuff that I saw. There were other talks, like I said, stuff on 5g, like, hacking 5g networks um uh you know the ukrainian war as well that's going on um yeah it was a it was a good conference that's all yeah that's that's awesome glad to hear it yeah. glad to hear it was a good time definitely want to make it there next year definitely looking forward to this uh 2023 travel year um i know we've got some plans so 
and it starts with Phoenix. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, what else do you want to talk about? We got a bunch of articles here. I don't, I don't know which, which things I actually, before we talk about any additional articles, I did want to address, uh, Talos. I want to say that correctly. Yeah. Handle Talos is a question. Um, I'll rephrase the question and then I'm going to like probably not answer it because I'm going to, I think it may be a little, we'll, we'll see here. Cause this, this is actually something I'm, I'm dealing with, but maybe on a broader scale than, than this. Um, but this is a great starting point for, for that broader conversation. So the question is, uh, you know, for assessments, do you all rate organizational risks differently from technical risks? Um, basically, uh, the scenario was, uh, Finding something, uh, finding, I'm, I'm trying to like summarize this in a, in a nice way. Um, found, found an application, we'll say, that has some um, non-necessarily technical risk, though you could argue maybe it, it kind of falls under technical risk um, uh, in terms of how the, the app runs and it's being developed. Uh, it's not necessarily a t technical, it's linked to some accounts that maybe an account that we really don't, we wouldn't do that normally with. And um, I'm trying to be as broad as possible for, for context here, uh, why I'm being so vague, but um, yeah, they're like, this seems like an organizational risk, not a technical risk. Um, and how do you kind of handle the, how to ha handle the, do you separate those organizational and technical risk? Um, so, you know, going through this, I know, uh, you had said, you know, it depends on the assessment scope, what's going into the report, um, something out the, outside the scope, scope you might uh, report, but usually ends up as a separate thing. That's how you said you, you would handle it, right? And I think that's true for a lot of things that don't necessarily go directly into like this high, medium, low, critical info, all that. Um, yeah. You, you I mean, have any risk in there, yeah. Yeah, I, so I've always got and we've done this for years, right? Like even back at our old fishnet days is this, this idea of a best practice um, or a best practice finding uh, where, Hey, you know, yes, things might be okay. We weren't able to exploit this, but you're not taking a layered security approach. You are um, there's weaknesses and there's possibilities that can come out of this that we can't exploit within the scope of the current assessment that we're looking at. Um, and that that's kind of where it falls for me. How high of a severity that gets is probably more of a discussion that happens with the with the client on my end or with the developers on your end. But I don't know. I mean, is that what you've been dealing with? Is that that's what you're going into there or is it something else? Something else, actually, for for us. I mean, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, like I, I think for for when I think about this con this this question of organization organizational versus technical. Um, it, we just went through this exercise at work, not exercise. We're like, we're, I, can't, I keep using that word exercise. It's not, it's not an exercise. It's actually a, we have, um, we have products we're shipping. They need to have risk associated or at least a service health or risk level, something like that, that we need to be able to, but let's stick with risk. We need to understand you know, what risk that service presents. And of course that factors into like new features being added to an existing service, right? So we, we have to be able to, there's a few things, there's there's taxonomy. So we have to have a way to describe risk. There is uh, 
we have to be able to score risk and we, we have to be able to surface risk. There's three things really, right? Um, and the question becomes like, what type of risk though? Because as we started, we like, we have a group dedicated at GitHub to risk. Um, it's literally in their title, right? So we, we talk, reached out to them, we're talking to them. They have their own taxonomy, their own scoring um, in place, but it's from a business risk perspective. So they, they look at, when we talk about business risk, they look at many, many things. It, it, it's legal. It's, I don't know. Um, so it's legal, it's business, it's, it's organizational, it's uh, technical. There's like a, there's like, a, they have a whole set of columns of things that they actually consider to be, to add up to, to be risk, you know, as, as we know, and they've classified all these bits. And it's interesting because technical risk is um, just like one small piece of the overall puzzle in how they they look at things and whatnot. So as we started talking about risk, we started breaking it out and saying like, oh, eh, you know, maybe it's not necessarily, let's just take the, the word risk out of the equation for now. And let's just look at findings and call it findings for now. And we'll use some sort of aggregate of those findings and some other measurements uh, and we'll consider like service health more so than we'll call use the term risk, uh, not to be pedantic, but it is actually important because we we have internally so many places where the word risk is used. We have a group dedicated to it. So we have to be kind of careful about, you know, our taxonomy there. So what we looked at was so one piece of just to back up here, one piece of that service health, which is another word for risk, but we won't use that dirty word um, is findings. And then there are other components as well, but let's stick with like findings for now. Cause that's kind of where we're getting back to, you know, with this whole conversation now findings, um, as we've kind of laid out as of last, last week or the week before, I think it was actually the week before last was all right. CV is a finding, right? Obviously a vulnerability is a finding, but then there's other findings. There's findings from like, Hey, listen, you are doing things in a specific way that we cannot change. Um, maybe we're doing a threat model assessing your set of like whatever, whatever components create your service for set doing an audit and kind of like looking at that from a threat modeling bend. And there might be outcomes where we say, hey, listen, um, this thing can't change or this thing can change. And these things like you're doing things in a certain way, so that can't change. So that that is a finding, but it's not a finding that we necessarily want to track in the sense of something we want mitigated at some point. It's never going to be mitigated. It just affects your overall service risk profile, essentially, even though we're not using that term, right? So it, it definitely changes things, but it's, it's not, you know, a risk or whatever. It's a finding. And I know all this sounds like so crazy, but this is what you deal with once you, once you get to scale and once you get to like multiple. Yeah. Anyways. So looking at it, uh, what I'm trying to say is the outcome of those sessions, whether it's a design session like early on or whether it's a threat modeling and whether it's as a result of that, those sessions, whether it's something we've identified as like a finding you can change or a finding you can't change, there needs to be a way to, to measure, to score and surface those things against a service, which is where a service catalog comes into place and all that. So why I'm saying all this is I know the question and what you're talking about are more in the scope of here's a, a here's an assessment here's or here's an assessment of an application we're going to have some report that comes out at the end and we want to figure out like 
okay, that's a risk, but like, is that like a, a technical risk, something they need to change inside of the application? Or is it more of an organizational risk, something that's like, yeah, it's not going to be changed inside the application itself necessarily. Maybe it's not a weakness of the application itself, but it is something that the application is inherently connected to and makes it more of a risk. And so I think you do definitely need to surface both sides of things. And I do think that they are absolutely, absolutely are, are, um, separate, but I just think that, you know, there's a broader conversation to be had if you're an internal defender, blue teamer within a corporation, especially one that's grown, you know, the size of where we're at right now. Um, there's, yeah, there's a conversation to be had about like you at some point will have to, to show, you'll have to show a burn down chart of like risk, right? Like, what are you, what are you, where's your riskiest stuff and how are you getting, getting rid of that? But how do you measure any of that if you haven't like de delineated risk by, you know, like I said, nomenclature, you know, how to score it and how to surface it. Super long winded, yeah. sorry, but yeah. No, no. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's thinking about risk at a, at a different level. Right. And um, I, I mean, this is one of the things that I, like I always struggle with when writing a technical report, right. Is we get to these impact statements about, well, what is the risk or what is the impact, impact of this vulnerability? Um, and even when it comes down to classifying like, or, you know, trying to quantify the, um, the, the severity of risk associated with specific, specific technical finding, um, you have to take in, into account the scope of what you're looking at. Right. Um, and yes, right. Like when I'm looking at a single application, I may rate something like account takeover of an admin account as critical, right? Because that's what I'm being asked to do in the context of that application. But once I, I turn that over to the organization itself, they have to take my input and, and what exactly what you're doing, quantify that against the other risks that are associated with it. And they may look at this single application. And they'll be like, that's the admin portal for a marketing site that's not connected to anything else. So realistically, the, the overall organizational risk to me or to our organization for admin takeover is pretty low because no one, you know, we just don't see that as extremely likely in this, this scenario, which is fine, right? Like, I, like we get on our high horses as consultants or even as InfoSec professionals that, hey, if something is rated as high, it's gotta be high all the everywhere, right? Which isn't the case. Um, I mean, we as humans do this all the time, right? We, we threat model our lives in general, right? Like, uh, mm. are you more likely to, you know, I mean, it's as simple as like, okay, where do you lock your car, right? When it's in your garage, do you lock your car, right? Well, probably not. There's other protections that are in place, right? Or you may, right? Depending on, you know, you know, where you live or something like that. But if you're a downtown busy street, um, not necessarily the safest neighborhood, of course, you're going to lock your, you know, you're going to lock your car, you're, you're running some other risk analysis as some other threat model in that situation. Um, but we don't always take that into account. I have a hard time with those impact statements and that severity rating. Um, because I, I, I've been on both sides of that discussion, right? I've been on the side of, 
where does this application fit in the wider array of applications and things and priorities that we have as an organization? And does it really bubble up to the point that I need my developers on it today? Or can it wait six months? Right? Um, yeah. As opposed to, hey, this is all I see from this organization. If I could take over this account and still millions of dollars, yeah, that's something you need to jump on right now. Um, and so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard problem and there's never going to be an easy answer to it. Scoring, scoring, scoring is the heart is, is a very, it's so fraught with peril and it's such a widely just like, and for a long time debated, I mean, CVSS is probably the closest I think most of us have seen to something resembling science you know? yep. <laughs> and not science. just like, <laughs> Yeah, science. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but you filled out those CVSS scores before, and you're like, yeah, yeah this will be this one. And like, I, like I'm, I'm fixing the number, right? Like, yeah. based on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could justify this as a low, or this is a high, right? Like, just so you can get that that number in the sweet spot between four and five where you want it, right? Like, which is not how it's supposed to be done. But you know that everyone. Everyone does it the same way. Right? I fucking know bounty researchers do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that. So <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, it's it's not. That's my point. Is is even the things that are kind of like the the best we've got. Um, that yeah, this is this is not a perfect science here, right? Like it is. It is a. It's a. I wouldn't even say it's art. I would say it's prejudice. <laughs> And, yeah, uh, it's <laughs> and that's about it but uh i mean yeah so it's that 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 alone is a widely debated thing but i mean bringing the conversation back to the original question you know i think it was simpler your, your answer is um the, the right one just like you know hey if it, if it seems like a risk still still note it you don't need to omit that just maybe it doesn't fall under you know the traditional what you were paid to do in, in terms of, well, I shouldn't say that sounds terrible. That's not what I mean. Um, you know, if you're tasked to do an app assessment, keep the findings more towards that, but then like have like a, a somehow a, a section that calls it out. Um, I do think it's important. And I, and I have for sure done that in the past, even early on in my career, that was something, you know, at fish that I would do, right? Like if, if there was something that was, well, I was going to say fishy, but it's too much, too much fish. Uh, yeah, a fishnet, you know, if there was something a little hinky or off or whatever um, like that, I, I, I would definitely report, um, you know, report it. So yeah. it plays into the threat model. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, I, just back to it. We always talk about taking a risk-based approach and that's that's the reality, taking a risk-based approach. So um, cool. Cool. Yep. Sweet. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, since everybody's going to Mastodon, we've got like a bunch of articles around Mastodon being uh, insecure. And then we've got a different one that is on the uh, break. This one's really, I just want to share this. We don't have to go into it, but I do want to actually share this. This uh, So like we did the app map. Oh, we, yeah. we showed using app map and it's really cool. They actually, let me put this in general as well. And if you're not on Slack with us, you should join us on Slack. Um, right. So visualizing mass on, so what's cool about this is, um, so we, we have a few articles here, uh, like Gareth, I think Gareth, uh, from Port Swigger, you had shared Seth, um, had found 
Uh, so stealing passwords, I'm just putting this stuff in, stealing passwords um, yep. from InfoSec via Mastodon uh, without bypassing CSP. So I just put that article in. We've got another one about multiple, multiple vulnerable system configuration bits in Mastodon being vulnerable. So I'm just removing some previews here, some declutter stuff here. Um, all right, cool. So why I'm saying this is so we've got uh, two separate Portswigger articles that talk about some of the plethora of vulnerabilities they found and, and stuff like that. Um, and why, I'm, why I think why we're bringing this up is it's interesting since we've got so many InfoSec folks who seem to be moving to, I actually don't know. I mean, I, I know some, some InfoSec people are moving there. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. I know that's all a bunch of stuff on there. Uh, on there being Twitter about people moving to Mastodon, cool, whatever. Uh, if you're going to go there, though, um, might as well take some time to rip apart the source code and look for some vulns. So that that's the point of all this. Like, clearly, there are some vulnerabilities that have popped up. They're going to be. Uh, it's written on Ruby. It's written in Ruby on Rails. So, you know, I know every security person who heard me say that just sighed heavily and immediately decided not to look at the source code. But in case you are so brave and inclined, um, this is a cool breakdown by app map of like ripping apart, um, the application to better understand, like how, how it kind of works and, uh, you know, like where the, where the code, uh, is at and stuff like that. So, um, anyways, you can get it up and running and then, uh, with, with, uh, you can get app map up and running with the Mastodon Ruby on rails and use that to perform a code review. Um, and it'll help like guide you and, and, tell you like, hey, this path goes to this part in the code base, which is, you know, going to make this query after that and draw the nice little diagrams for you and everything like that. So I highly recommend checking it out. And why not, dude? Like, if you're going to go on that platform, might as well try and rip it up. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. No, I mean, it, it, it's useful to see that actually in play, right? Because um, I, I know, you know, you and I have our like, process for doing code reviews and for visualizing what's going on for tracing through for specific, you know, routes, source to sync traces as we like to call them. Um, yeah. But the recommendations there on, you know, we, we always talk about, Hey, you do want to get a development environment up and running, right? Build the code if you actually can. And this is one of the reasons why um, to get that complete picture of what's going on when someone logs into the application, where does it actually touch in the code base? Is it using something like devise? Like what um, what functions from devise are actually being called because that can come into play, that can be attacked. Um, all of that comes, you know, it is extremely useful. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, if you haven't looked at it yet, do. Sorry. Do, yeah, do do take a look at the source code. That that's the main thing. If you're if you're gonna, might as well, right? Like, and, and it's nice too because usually the 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 cost that we have with these these tools are you've got a cost up front, meaning a cost for a security tool is typically either on the front end or back end. So front end being setup and configuration, uh, or on the back end, which is um, the analysis of results when you don't have something sufficiently well configured and complex enough. The nice thing I think about AppMap as I'm as I look about look at it is that it does a lot of that that sort of upfront understanding the application for you because it sits in at the middleware level, listens to requests, but also like has access to the source. And so it can see the request, it can listen see the source. It's kind of like um a non-security centric almost like IAST, IAST or whatever, you know, kind yeah. of I, I guess. I don't know if you've ever seen that done well. Um, but whatever. 
it, it's kind of like that, but with less of a security bend and more of a, uh, just like getting to understand the application. So I think that's a really cool and neat concept. And then going back to it, um, you know, like I said, I think a lot of people are moving over to, I don't know, maybe some people are moving over to Mastodon. You and I were talking about this before the show. And, and, uh, like, I know, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of political sort of, uh, back and forth about, uh, Twitter and Elon and, and, and all that stuff. Gotta be honest though, man, my feed has actually been a lot better. I hate to say it. My feed has been, and I really do. Cause I'm not like, a, I'm not like a, 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 what is it? An Elon fanboy or anything like that by, by any stretch. Um, and I definitely, you know, do not love the treatment that, uh, you know, is coming out of or the treatment of folks or anything like that. So, uh, but I will say, having said that, man, is my tweet stream like much clearer. Like I was telling you and showing you before the podcast, I was like, look at this dude, like technical thing, technical thing, technical thing, technical thing, kind of an opinion, but technical thing. Te- it was amazing. I was like, I was like, maybe that everybody who wants to talk about that kind of stuff can go on the Mastodon platform. And they can shout into the ether and be upset. And that's a great place to go do that and leave Twitter to like, let us produce technical content and read content that's, you know, useful in our day jobs. Cause that's how it used to be for anyways, this is just my opinion. Nobody else's. Sorry if you hate me for not, you know, not jumping on the, uh, the, the bandwagon or whatever, but like, I just think that, uh, it's been a very nice experience for me, regardless of the, uh, other stuff around it um, <laughs> everything else that's going yeah on. everything yeah. else around it yeah so whatever uh you know i'm cool with it <laughs> i mean as, as, as long whatever as there's good content, and, and and that that that's where it started was that we were having a discussion about okay where where are we seeing content recently right and like with all the twitter drama i'd actually stepped away from it for you know between the, the Twitter drama and then also just personal life. I haven't been on like it hasn't been something I've been I've been tracking because you know there's only so many hours in a day. Um, but I, I'm interested to see where the research gets posted, right? Like and and where the new things pop up that um, that do point us at long form research, not just like the single you know uh, you know meme worthy stuff that that comes out of uh, Twitter or whatever else. Um, Cause it, you know, like it, I know you and I have different sources that we turn to a different, uh, different places that we look at, whether that is, you know, Reddit's NetSec or, you know, there's, there's, there's different subreddits, there's different development. Um, yeah. I follow resources. like JavaScript and Ruby <laughs> and Golang developers, you know, you might, you, I know you follow similar, but like in different yeah, more in like Swift Python and Python. Swift, and, yep. Yeah, yeah, yep, um, yeah. And but I, and but to be to be fair, I haven't seen as much from them over the last three four years on Twitter. I've seen them move to more like development centric sites than anything else, um, which is unfortunate. It's been harder to get like a a, a single view in any one of these communities, um, and that 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 that's what I, I bemoan at times, right? Is that that single view into, hey, you can get a you can get a taste of what's going on by following you know five or six renowned people in any one space, and it'll bubble up through there. But it'll be technical in nature, and it hasn't been for a number of years. I know we've we've complained about it for a long time, so it'll be interesting to see what happens or where they move to. I. I don't know if we'll ever get back to that single lens that we had at one point 
um, like early 2010s that Twitter was because um, for a while there it was pretty magical, right? I, I'll be honest, right? It, it was. Able, you could spend all day just reading articles coming out of Twitter and come out, you know, feeling a lot better about humanity. And Dude. I don't know if you can do that anymore. Yeah. I used to have to like limit myself because it's like, man, there's just so, such an information onslaught. And there's like, and honestly, that's really, I feel like when uh, blogging really picked up and then, you know, as a few more years went on, like podcasts and, and video content, you know, not just written content. Um, and yeah, it was just it, seriously, like I really would have to like limit myself and because you could spend all day on there and you just go down to rabbit holes of interesting content and just fill up all day long on it. And um, yeah, I don't know that it's that today, but I will say like, oh man, it's been, it's been interesting to actually put it this way. I haven't sat down because I usually sit down in the morning, um, have coffee, open my laptop and check emails and read and stuff like that. Right. To kind of get the, the, the day started. And I have not as part of that routine, open Twitter in years and years and years. So Lately, though, the last few days, I've been able to open up Twitter every day and like not just immediately want to close it down and just be like, oh, wow, something interesting I can dig into. So, again, I'm not a fan of clearly not a fan of, of the, the treatment of folks. You know, that's not that's not cool. It's not what I'm about. Definitely not a fanboy. Uh, nothing like that. Just being honest about what I'm seeing in terms of my feed. It's, it's it is what it is. You can hate her whatever. Hate me. But that, that is the truth. It, it has been easier for me to digest content. I, I did want to give a shout out actually recently. Um, one of my sources, and I know, and I know we're going like weird, weirdly off topic, right? But sure, um, has been um, Dev Two, right? Um, mm. It's a development. Yeah, like there's been a lot of articles that have popped up there, and actually, you know, full disclosure, I've talked to the like the organizers there. It's like an like a community project. Um, their code is open source. They do a very good job. Um, but their like their security articles, as far as like interesting things to read from a product security or a application security perspective, implementations of WebAuthn, of other places, like they've got a really good community that's grown up on Dev.2 that um, like better than Stack Overflow, but with that sort of kind of uh, like development bent to things. Um, mm -hmm. that, yeah, like if, if you haven't looked at it, if you're involved in the space at all, like, you know, just add it to your list of one of those to, to take a look at and to peruse, because there's probably something like even just checking that initial page for me, I'm like, Ooh, that's again, you know, more articles that I'd like to read and things that you and I could probably talk about on the podcast, um, pretty easily, like why startups suck at security, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's super interesting, right? I was just going to give them a shout out because the work they're doing over there is pretty good. So. No, I'm actually like scrolling through. So no, I'm glad you did. I, I'm actually scrolling through. Um, man, they do have some interesting, poten potentially interesting looking articles. That's awesome, dude. That's really awesome. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, uh, yeah, we're... Oh, shoot. Yeah. I'm running late for... Uh, I've got to get You've going. got another call. Okay. This is what happens when we get talking. Um, it's been yeah, a couple of weeks. i got to get going. We'll see people Sorry. Next week. Um, yeah, no worries. Um, <gasps> thanks for joining us today. Jump into Slack. We'll continue the conversation there. We can talk more about Dev2 or whatever else you want to. And yeah, but otherwise, thanks for joining. Thanks for being a part of the community. And 
Ken, any last minute thoughts before we jump off? No, just I'm bad at calendars, but uh, yeah, I appreciate everybody hop, uh, hopping on. I did send out, uh, so I initiated some emails with uh, potential guest speakers. It's looking like probably that's going to start next year, though, for, for most people, just the holidays and, and whatnot. But anyways, we are actively actually engaging with guests. Uh, my my schedule is not what it, what it was uh, in terms of it, it's improved. So yeah, happy to hear we're going to have some spe- guest uh, speakers on. Um, and yeah, no, just that's, that's about it, man. Happy for everybody to, to thank you for listening and yeah, we'll be back next week. All right. We'll see everybody next week. Have a good one. And broadcast button.